Today on Good Will Talk, we are being introduced to the elect lady in Second John, and you can decide what her role was in the early church. And uh, we're also going to be giving a shout out to one of Jess's friends. She's going to try and read Second John out loud, which is a wonderful experience for everybody. And uh, then we're going to talk about why the letter of Second John actually applies really nicely to the church today. So stick around. We'll see you in just a minute. So Jess, I need to shout out one of your friends right quick. One of my friends? Well, one of my friends too, I guess. But uh, we need to we need to give her a little love. Okay. Um, and this is, this is Lauren Wildrick that we're talking about. Oh, I just adore um, her. I know you do. And that's why, that's why I said, I've got to shout out one of your friends. So uh, last week we did an episode about lament. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, it was a fun episode to record, even though I got a little bit I get a little huffy at times. I, I admit, I don't know what you're talking about. there are moments of huffiness. Did Lauren send you 400 uh, lament songs that we should sing in church? She sent me. She sent me a full album. Uh, oh, did yeah. she? There is a there is a, a group out there that I had heard of before. It sounds like a software company, um, but they're called Bifrost. Okay. And uh, but they do a lot of music out of the Old Testament, a lot of Psalms, albums, and stuff like that. And they did one based on Lamentations. Oh. And so she sent me this album and uh, last week I had to drive down to Newark late at night and uh, pick up my mom from the airport. She's coming in to hang out for a little while. Nice. And uh, that was my soundtrack down to Newark. And uh, I tell you what, Is it good? there's some good stuff on that. Like, like congregational there singing good? a couple good? of them yeah. where I'm like, oh, dang, we're going to have to include these. Wait, I'm going to get my pen out and, say it again. Uh, it's Bifrost. It's Bifrost, B-I-F-R-O-S-T. And uh, the name of the album, I believe, is just Lamentations. Um, and it is it is excellent um, if people just want to. And the, the second song on here, I'm going to put a plug out there for uh, for Jeff, who's listening, and for my worship leader, who I'm going to be sending this song to over in Beacon. Um, it's called Rise Up, and it is just beautiful. Um, when I heard it, I'm like, oh, Lauren would crush this. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, really good stuff and, and really does lean into uh, what it means to lament well. And so, well done, Lauren She's Wildrick, so cool. finding that. Yeah, that's good. Hey, What um, about the applause drop? Yeah, she gives an applause and you don't even drop? Are you not paying attention, sir? Let me <laughs> see which one it is. Yay! Hey, right on the first nailed it. Well done, Lauren Wildrick. They're just colors Lauren. back here, so it's not like they're labeled. Right. No. They're just like big squares. I know. And you have to kind of take a guess or you could label them, but we've never gotten that no, far. I would be like, I'd have to put like a, uh, you know, a sticky on there. I don't want to do that. You don't want to deface your board oh. with a sticky. Oh, it looks so <laughs> oh nice. Let's a... get to work. Okay. Let's get to work. So today uh, we are introducing, (laughs) so we continue laughing about the sticky. Um, Today we are introducing a new featured episode. And actually, this is a great way to kick off the season. Um, This is officially season 13 now. Did I get that right? (laughs) I don't know. We just got to the end. Like We're just just going to keep doing episodes. You know what? I guess 12 is over now. Um, So this is is episode one of season 13. loosey-goosey. Yeah, you know, we, we changed executive producers and now we're just kind of flying by the seat of our pants. But that's okay. We're having a good time. Um, Season 13 is starting off with a new featured episode. This is something we're going to do kind of periodically. Right. Throw them Um, in there every once in a while. Because it's fun. 
and yeah. why not? Um, we're calling this Obscure Books of the Bible, which may sound wrong, I guess. I don't know. They're just ones that like, you're not going to, you know, your six week women's Bible study yeah. on, on, <laughs> on, on these books. On these books. Um, Probably. And there's a handful of them. Yeah. Like this is going to, you know, this is, so we're not going to be spending time in the gospel of John. We're not going to be spending time in Isaiah or Genesis. Uh, we're going to highlight books that are normally overlooked or you read them really fast in your um, Bible reading plan for the year because it's one of like eight things you need to read that day. It kind of gets thrown in the junk drawer right. of Bible reading plans. <laughs> and mm -hmm. It's obscure. And um, the first one we're going to look at, I absolutely love. It's Second John. You said So like when you sent me the episode, you know, what we're going to be recording yeah. on and you're like, we're going to start doing this. And, you know, the first book we're going to do is second John. And I was like, the heck is second? John? <laughs> I know I've read it. Like I've read the whole Bible. So I've read it. I know it's in there somewhere. But I'm like, it's not ringing any bells. That's why it's obscure. And so I, I pulled it up and I was like, oh, you can read it in seven minutes. You really can, you can read it twice distracted in seven minutes. Uh huh. It is. It so is it a perfect. quick read. Uh, so Jess, it why is literally don't you, a half a page on is. the large print Bible. And in the small print Bible, like it takes up a <laughs> oh, third of the page. I like it is. That. Yeah, no, you could. Could, it's because of the second John and third John on the you same page really in your Bible. Could. I don't know why they didn't do that. I guess they just, <laughs> they don't want you to like get distracted, just skip over, like not realize like, oh, it. that's not actually even in the Bible. Let's go to Jude, um, <laughs> which is not probably going to be in our list because, well, I don't know. We'll decide. We'll see. We'll see if Jude makes it. We'll Jude's like on the edge. Because people, people do read Jude. And the benediction comes from Jude. That's a it. really famous benediction. Uh, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to pre present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now forever. Amen. That's a good one. That's a, that is a... So when we have elders who are learning how to preside and they're going to have to do a benediction, Start we're like, there. just use Jude. Just use yeah. Jude. Just read Jude. It is a right. beautiful end to worship. So, yeah. Um, all right. Second John. Jess, this yeah. is all you. Spotlight is on you. Don't mess this up. No garbled words. Do you, you feel you the pressure now? as I read it at 11 o'clock at night because I stayed up late. You did? Yeah. Why? You're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to go to bed early and get the I, however well, many hours. Because the night before I went to bed at nine o'clock. Oh, that was dang. a little too much. Yeah, that's a lot of sleep. Okay. All yeah. right. Go for it. So anyway, so I'm, I'll do my best. It's going to be what it is. Yes. Fair enough. <laughs> All right. Uh, so second John, the elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we commanded, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I, now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a New Testament, Oh, it's the New Testament. That's not at all what it says. It's not. It's not, right, as though, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one that we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the, the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you do no, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win in win a full reward. 
Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come and talk to you face to face soon that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. All right. We did it. We got through it. It was a little rough. That's okay. So that's all right. I mean, every time this you read happens the, when I cry before an episode, you read, yeah, I my know. Contacts we didn't even, were, yeah, my contacts were all a little like washy. We didn't even make it on the air and there were tears. Yeah, it's all right. It's been that day. That's There's okay. some things going on. But here's the thing that strikes me just as you read this. And, and all we're going to do is just talk about the things that stand out to us. Uh-huh. Um, any questions that may jump out of the text. Um, first thing that I noticed, because you, as you're reading it out loud, you hear repeated sounds. Mm-hmm. Um, the amount of times the word truth shows up in the first few verses. Oh, yeah. Do you notice that? I mean, it's uh, verse one. There's It's in verse one twice. It's in verse two. It's in verse three. Um, it's in verse four. Five times in four verses, the word truth shows up. Well, I was like, what? this Pat? Well, you weren't there, obviously, because you were in Beacon. But I was. Pastor John was here. Yeah. And then he, he was preaching and he was like, you know, when it said, and then it said, and then it said, and then it said. They really mean it. Yeah. <laughs> like God really is trying to like no point this out. You know, like look, look, like you said, look for those repetitive uh, occurrences of a theme. And and this is something you know. So so John's writing to someone called the elect lady, and we, we believe this is John. John, it, the author's never identified. Um, the person calls himself the elder. Um, traditionally, we've understood this to be John and. Ordinarily, when this book is is found in collections in ancient collections, mm-hmm. second and third John are included with first John, um, and well, because they're all like tiny. They're they're small, but first John we call first John an epistle or a letter. It's not. It doesn't follow any of the forms of a letter. There's mm-hmm. no greeting in first John. Right. Not like this. No, this, I mean, this is very clearly very clearly a letter, right? And so is third John. First John's not. It mm-hmm. just starts very similar to the gospel, John talking about the word and light and stuff like that. Um, and then it just kind of ends abruptly as well. Um, my theory, which is just my theory is that first John is actually, um, like a, a devotional like the, type of a sermon. Oh, like it's I was a like, sermon. Was it like the rough draft? And no. then he like extrapolated <laughs> it into the, into the book. No, I, I think it's actually just like, maybe him um, speaking on a theme and it was written down gotcha. and kind of this final exhortation, children, keep yourself from idols. It's like a loving just application point at the end um, because it, it bears none of the marks of a, a letter. letter. Um, yeah. There's no, there's no greeting at the beginning. There's no greetings at the end. There's no wrap up. There's no grace and peace to you like there is here. Mm-hmm. So what I believe is happening is this thing is sent around and attached to it are effectively cover letters um, so we know Philemon is basically a cover letter for Colossians. Um, they were sent at the same time, and uh, it was like, here's, give this to Philemon, and that's for him in Colossa. Everybody's going to get Colossians, but Philemon needs this little extra something, kind of like a cover letter handed okay. on top of it. My theory is second and third John are cover letters, either to the gospel or to first John. Um, so what would happen is these letters would go out into you know, Asia Minor and all these different churches. And um, they'd get passed around from place to place. Yeah. And whenever you'd go to a new place, sometimes there's a little extra something for that place. Um, 
So two people who receive little extra somethings are um, Gaius. He's the recipient of Third John, and this person called the Elect Lady. Um, there's debate over what this Elect Lady is. Um, the one option that seems uh, from a clear reading of the text to be true is that she is the leader of the church in this particular place. Her children would be the people in her congregation. And so she's like pastoring this congregation in her home. Right. Because um, back then, like it wouldn't have been a church building. They You were meeting in someone's, meeting in someone's home, home. So this right. lady was the... Yeah, she's convening it. And most likely because she's she's the one who's the receiver of the letter, she's probably kind of the spiritual authority in the, in the, in the space. But the other option is that this is just speaking kind of in a general way of the church as a whole in this place. The problem is it's the problem it's, with that view is it's to the elect lady and her children. Yeah, it's like pretty specific. That is to whether she's the leader or the host. Like yeah. she definitely holds some sort of prominent she, position right. within that church right. and, gathering. And so it's really hard to then kind of broaden that out to mean, oh, it's not an actual lady. Like, ah, oh, well, it yeah, seems it pretty seems clear it's a lady like it here. Might be the lady. So there's there's a woman here who's receiving this. Most likely she's gonna then be either reading the gospel or the the what we call first John mm -hmm. to the congregation that's there. Um, but she receives this little letter from John as a just a little, hey, I love you. I'm thinking about you and praying about you. Um, but then the content of the letter, this pretty thick. Like yeah, there's it, some stuff in here, man. Seems like there might have been some people creeping. Uh <laughs> What? People you know, creeping. Yeah. You know, like trying to. There's creepers in here? People trying to take over the church. Why are there creepers? Not much has changed. There's has never Not creepers much. in the church, Jess. I know. People never. It's all full of truth and love. For their own power and their own sense of influence, they never try and take over a church for themselves. No. Never happens. No. Not then know. and not now. No, never. <laughs> Is our, our audience has heard the sarcasm, right? We've gotten the yeah. sarcasm across. So, I think we've done so that. So anyway, so it seems like there are some people who are in some way distorting, adding to or subtracting from the truth. The truth. Right. And that he is saying, hey, make sure that you're like extra vigilant about yes. this and that you're really looking at, is it truth? Is it love? Are they, you know, are they... This who is, you should be allowing into your... Because it doesn't even say necessarily that they're coming in as leaders. It just says that they're coming they're in coming like in. into the congregation. So this is something that's fascinating about the early church. Um, yeah, and and I don't know what we can do with this. I just think it's fascinating. Um, in the 21st century, our philosophy around um, letting people into church is kind of like blow the doors open. Whoever wants to come can come. It doesn't really matter who they are, where they stand, what they believe. It's just It's very evangelistic in the way that we approach these things, just like all comers to church, right? Um, early centuries were not that way. Um, it was not an all comers thing. Only f believers were allowed in the worship service. Um, and like it was, it was a years long process to have access to the table. Um, so it would take you about three years of classes before they would allow you to come to the table and partake in communion. Mm. Um, like it was, the church of Jesus Christ in the opening centuries was not like, Hey, let's just bring everybody in so they can hear that. No, keep them out. And yet it exploded in numbers. Right. So, so how did they do evangelism then? That's a good I mean, question. They wouldn't have called it that, but so if Tim were sitting here, if pastor Tim were sitting here, he would tell you because he's been doing some work on this, mm -hmm. um, that in the first three centuries of the church, um, there's not a single tractate written about evangelism, but there are two written about patience and endurance. 
Um, evangelism does not appear to be a primary focus of the ancient church. Um, but like, obviously like the mess, I don't mean evangelism, like the message is spreading. So yes. it's not spreading. Cause you're like, Hey, come to church. This is great. Like, right. obviously like something is happening between the church and the community that is getting people to the place where they are essentially joining the church. Right. But so to be able to come in, I heard this phrase a while ago and I've, I've been using it again recently. Um, holy curiosity, provoking holy curiosity. Hmm. What the church seems to do is live in such a way that it provokes holy curiosity. People are like, who are these people and what are they doing? And it's a little bit easier for them to do in Roman culture than it is for us to do in American culture. Mm -hmm. um, because American culture is has been so thoroughly kind of like a the civil religion in the United States looks very similar to Christianity. And so it doesn't, it, it's not as stark when you compare the two yeah but when you look in the first centuries of the church of, of the church in rome they're not worshiping the uh they're not worshiping the pantheon um they're not participating in like so it's a little graphic if you have kids just kind of cover the ears for a second <laughs> la, 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 la. um but one of the reasons why uh, prostitution is such a problem in the first century is that if you're part of the business guild um you would be expected to attend the orgy like that was just a part of the oh, business guild. Um, that's that's like the the mix and mingle cocktail yeah, hour. So yeah, and uh, <laughs> so oh, um, I'm sorry, but that's just a part of the culture back then. We gotta, yeah. Um, well, Christians weren't attending, right? Um, and and so that was a little bit, and they were taking a hit business wise because they wouldn't participate in some of the business practices of the time. Um, and, you know, temple prostitution was a very normal part of worship in the first century. And this is something that the um, the New Testament writers and apostles say, are trying to deal with. They, like it shows and, they, up, and they talk about it. Talk about it quite a bit, right. actually, say, in like, the New Testament. This isn't a thing we should be doing, don't people. Do this. Please stop. So, like, they're, they're, they're living a very different kind of lifestyle. And they're gathering together regularly in people's homes, um, which isn't totally bizarre because it's a hospitality culture. But mm -hmm. to really make a practice of constantly being together and then rumors start getting out of, oh, these people are eating uh, eating flesh and drinking blood. Uh, and pe they're married <laughs> to each other, uh, but they're calling each other brother and sister and they're married. And we're not like, apparently our culture, we're into orgies, but that's too far. Like <laughs> there, there was some things that were um, kind of, happening within right. the church they're that like were really weird. Right. For the time. But they were also really kind. They were known for, um, you know, one of the things, one of the reasons why the church has had this long pro-life history is because in the ancient church, um, if you had a girl, what, or not in the ancient church, but in ancient Rome, if you gave birth to a girl, um, they didn't add anything to your status as a family. So often those girls were taken outside the city gates and just left to be, to die exposed. Mm -hmm. Um, Christians began the practice of going and rescuing these little girls and bringing them in and raising them up as their own, um, which actually did create more of a financial burden on the family. But because this was a human being, they went and saved this person's life. And it's actually why uh, the church for 2000 years has skewed more female because right from the beginning, most of the kids who were coming up in the church were female um, because they were not only having their own, but they were rescuing a bunch of others. And so like the churches looked different, it acted different and it became attractive when compared to the Roman world. And, um, and then they were being persecuted. And for whatever reason, in God's economy, as the church is, a per is persecuted, she grows. That's just, the, it appears to be that's how, how God has ordained things. Well, it's, as I was reading, 
And I don't remember. I only read two things to get ready for this. So, I well, three things. I read the Bible. I good, read the book. Yes, I, that was a good place Important to start. Thing. Then I went to Ligonier. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I read like a short article. I mean, obviously, like there's not a lot to write about. And then I went to um, The Wonderful Works of God. And yeah. I was reading. Yeah. So I don't remember where, which one of those two plays. It would have either been in Ligonier. I think it was in Ligonier. Mm-hmm. And they, but they were talking about that in... Um, the Old Testament that like kind of the nation and the church were the same. Yeah. Or yeah. like at least they, they were. Yeah. as the nation uh, of Israel and, and the, right. it was a, it was a civil nation, but it was also a religious right. nation. Like they the were kind of term, all mingled. The technical term we use is, is cult. And we don't mean that like the cults of today, but right. like that's just the, the worship life of a nation. Um, and the cult and the government were linked together intimately right. in, in ancient Israel. And so then uh, after Jesus' death and the birth of the church is that the nation and the church are no longer the same. Right. And so where like your community and your church used to be the same people. So loving those people and doing life with those people and doing government with those people has changed. Right. And so like the love that you're having, like you're talking about within the church for your brothers and sisters in Christ is different than the love that you're having for your community or like the bond that you're having with right. them. Maybe not the love you're having for them, but the bond that you have with this group of people is different than the bond that you're having with your community and different than the bond that you're having with your government. Right. And so like they were just talking about like how they were really, really like bonded together mm-hmm. as a unit and the love that they had for each other because there was this shift. Yeah. That all they had was one another. Right. You know, and, and this, and like becomes, you said, like as, as there's more, um, what's the word? Well, there's more dissonance, right. Between the, yes. the, the experience of being a Christian and living in that culture. Like it's, it, it becomes very uncomfortable to just follow what the rest of your, of your community is doing right. when and, it runs directly contrary to who your identity is as a right. Christian. And the persecution that right. you're getting from your community is yeah. bonding you together mm-hmm. even more strongly and then the you people become, within your church. And then you become an easy target, right? So when um, somebody accidentally lights Rome on fire, um, Nero decides, oh, easy scapegoat. Let's just tell them the Christians did it because they're the weirdos over there. And then we can just kill a bunch of the Christians and we're done. And that's exactly what he did. Mm-hmm. He just rounded up Christians and killed them all in horrifying ways. Um, that kind of persecution really does, again, bond you together because now you're you're a group that is under threat. Um, now, there's the external threat that's just real that helps bond this group. But notice John doesn't speak about external threats. No. He talks about an internal threat that has to do with the twisting of the truth. And um, this was really interesting to me. Um, he, he, again, reiterates what he reiterates in the um, in First John and in the gospel, the importance of love is the primary commandment of the Christian. This is what we do. We love God. We love neighbor. Love is the essence of what it means to be a Christian. Um, and he says that um, this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. So the way we love God is by obeying him. Um, and, and so there's a, there's a link there, right, between holiness and love. But then he says, for many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such a one as the deceiver and the antichrist. Um, what did you take away from this? Like, th- there's a specific heresy that's being taught here about who Jesus is. 
Like what did that strike you in any way that John gets really, really specific about what to look out for? I, I didn't understand like what what they would have been teaching other than that he was coming in. And so mm-hmm. like that was what I was questioning. Like, huh, I wonder you couldn't just say that he's not coming. Like obviously they're saying the specific that like they're saying he's not coming in the flesh. In the flesh. So he's right. They're trying to say that he's gonna come in some other way. What was that other way? That's what I was thinking. You know, it Do we know? I don't think we know exactly. There are guesses. Okay. Um, you know, if if this is written when we think it is, which is late first century, actually written by the Apostle John, because uh, there's a whole there's a theory that this isn't re- written till the second or third century and okay. is added into the canon just before Nicaea. Um, but I don't think that holds water. I think this has been around for a while in circulation before it gets included into lists. Um, so if this is late first century. Um, Gnosticism isn't a thing yet, mm-hmm. um, and the Gnostics believed in uh, flesh as completely evil no matter what, and the spirit is completely good no matter what. It's this really strange dualism that's a part of Gnosticism, and um, okay. that means that Jesus didn't actually take on flesh, because but it was only because he, he, he couldn't, couldn't have. It looked like he did. It looked like he did. Um, so this, some it people, was, it was like around him but not touching him. Uh, yeah, I guess. I'm not touching like, you. I'm not... <laughs> Yeah, I guess it's something like that. I, okay. I think no, I mean it's just it's a it's in the appearance of flesh, but not actual flesh. Okay. So that's obviously it's an attack on the incarnation, right? Okay. And, um so this could be some kind of like proto Gnosticism. Um, but what actually struck me is there are those in the church today, and maybe this is part of what was going on back then, um, who would say that Jesus didn't physically rise. That the resurrection is not a physical event, but he only rose spiritually. So you'll you'll hear this in some liberal cult, liberal um, churches. Really, that the physical resurrection is not a thing that happened, but that it was a spiritual resurrection, or uh, what we call charismatic theology, where Christ is resurrected every time he is preached in the in corporate worship. That that itself is a resurrection, but that there was no physical resurrection from the dead. Now, here's the thing: if there's no physical resurrection, there's no physical return. Right. Right. He can't come again in the flesh. So there may be this teaching happening in the first century. It's like, well, we know he died. That was a public spectacle. Nobody missed that. We're not so sure about this resurrection thing. So when you're talking about Jesus coming back in the flesh, we can't go there. But Jesus will come back in some kind of spiritual way, um, kind of new agey type of an understanding gotcha. of the return. So it that could be sense. one of those I two mean, that, things. It does make sense. I didn't realize that people didn't believe in like a like that's a, today a, a fleshly resurrection. Right. But it would make sense even back then that that yeah. could have. I mean, very plausible. Very plausible. So I think those are our two options. Either they're saying, okay, he actually was never really fully human. This proto Gnosticism that will turn into full blown Gnosticism mm-hmm. in the second and third centuries, or um, it's this like. We're not quite sure about the resurrection, but we want to talk about Jesus because he was a good teacher. He died for us, that kind of thing. Um, so it's a uh, either way, it's a direct attack on the incarnation. Yeah. Um, it's a splitting apart of who Jesus is. It's a no no. Which is a no no. You're right. And um, and it's a harsh judgment that John gives. Yeah. Right, because he says such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. To John, yeah, he's um, not mincing words there. He ain't playing around with this, and and this is kind of the the early church. And if you're in our Revelation class, you're you're hearing some of this as well. Um, the idea of a single antichrist that will come during this tribulation period is not really a, that's not a concept in for the biblical writers. Okay. Um, they understand the Antichrist to be almost a spirit or a like a demonic force of Antichrist. Um, so John will say in First John, you've heard that Antichrist will come, 
behold, Antichrist has come and there are many of them. Um, so there is this. So he's talking about like the the spirit of disbelief within the church or the spirit of the spirit, taint, tainting of the church. Well, and even the direct repudiation of the things of Christ. Right. So it's anti-Christ. It's a literal thing. You are gotcha. against Christ. Um, and so we can we can say that's demonic, but like they don't have this. That's not, that wouldn't have been their that, idea. Yeah. That's more of a, of a singular person. Yeah. They, it's more of a that like, that idea has really kind of developed. Um, in like the last 200 years or so. Um, because even when you look at Since the television, uh, <laughs> no, even a little pre television, but um, because even when you look at the reformers, they call the Pope, the antichrist, but then if that Pope died and the next Pope came in, guess who he is right. also the antichrist. So right. it's more of a, and it's, it's a literal thing. You're against Christ. Right. Um, and to teach against the incarnation is to directly attack who Jesus is. Yeah. And this is starting to get into the early church, even in the first century. So we're talking within a generation of his death and resurrection. There are those... The people are, are already getting it wrong. Already. And and I think John's kind of saying purposefully trying to deceive people okay. by twisting this and, and messing up people's faith because uh, he calls them deceivers that have gone out. And that, that's not just like, oops, that's... I'm going to actually mess with people's faith by trying to twist their understanding of who Jesus is, um, which is, I think, something that we ought to be aware of. You know, when 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 we're talking about um, our neighbors who are a part of other religions um, that would talk about Jesus, mm -hmm. we need to really ask the question: All right, my Mormon neighbor, define Jesus for me, right? Because very quickly you find out he's not God. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses in the same way. Lots. We were driving uh, through the village the other day, and there was Jehovah's Witnesses, you know, standing outside, and the kids were like, "What? The, you know, they have a little stand. What? The, what is that? Who are they?" I was like, "Well, they're people who like kind of think they're Christians, but they don't think they're like. They, if you talk to them, you would on the surface seem like you guys believe the same thing, but yeah. when you really get down to it, they don't believe that Jesus is your savior. Yeah, and." But they'll use, they'll talk about Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so, like you said, if you're not setting a baseline definition of Jesus is God, Jesus is your savior, yeah. then you might think you're talking, give the appearance of talking about the same thing, but really you're not at all. I mean, it's important. If, if you think back to the Mark series that we just, we spent a year in the gospel of Mark, right? Um, the primary question that Mark is asking is, who is Jesus? That's the question that his whole gospel is answering. You have to have an answer to that because if you can't get to Jesus is God in the flesh, the incarnation, mm -hmm. um, substitutionary atonement where he died for our sins, physical resurrection, all of these things, if you can't get there with him, it doesn't matter what he taught and what he did. Um, you have to get who he is correct. Right. And um, that gets missed quite a bit by a lot of the um, Christian ad adjacent religions and cults that are out there. They, they fundamentally miss who Jesus is. And um, so that's happening here in the first century. He's warning people about it. And he even goes so far as, hey, if anyone comes, you does not bring this teaching that he is the son. Right. So yeah. um, verse nine, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the father and the son. And then this, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching about who Jesus is, the son of God. Do not receive him into your house. 
Right. And so th- they're or not talking about greeting. like, they're not saying don't bring him in for dinner. They're talking about right. like, don't let him in church because yes. the house is the church in this. Exactly. Like, that's what they're talking about. And the greeting is actually a piece of liturgy. You know, the, the when you greet one another. So um, we do this. I, I think they do it in Montgomery now as well. But because during the pandemic, like we didn't go around and shake everybody's hands and give each other hugs and breathe on each other. Right. Gotcha. Um, yeah, we do that again. Yeah, we do that again. Right. The greeting part of um, worship is not merely to transition to the sermon. <laughs> it is something we've done from the first century. We greet the saints. It's a liturgical practice. Right. Um, and what's happening here is they're saying, hey, don't let them in. If they're teaching this. Or if they're trying to deceive people with this, bar them from the worship's assembly. Keep them out. Right. Um, and so this also shows kind of the authority that this elect lady has because she, she, she's being told, hey, don't right. let them in. Guard the door. Guard the door. Right. Well, and I edit that in 11 where it says, you know, whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Right. Like it's almost like if you let him in people are going to see yeah. and give credence to what he's saying or think that he is speaking with the same authority that you're teaching with because they, they think that you're, he's part of your, your community, but he's not. Yeah. His teaching becomes your teaching. Yeah. Don't do that. No, you don't. This is why we have to be careful who we co-sign, right? It's, it's when we, um, th- there are opportunities that pastors are sometimes given to go and uh, speak at events or mm-hmm. do things. We have to ask that question. Who else is going to be there? Right. Um, one, there are people who um, do big conferences and sometimes they get called out of, why are you sharing the stage with this person? And they always go, oh, well, I can't control who else the person. Yeah, but you can control if you're there, don't you? Right. You know, like don't show up then. Um, so there is a sense in which we have to be careful who we align with to make sure that they're actually proclaiming the same faith that we would have as, as followers of Jesus. So um, there's a lot, man. This is a tiny little cover letter basically and he says hey i'll talk to you more when i get there Um, i love how he's like i don't want to waste the paper and the ink yeah no responsible right from the beginning right from the beginning john's like i only have a little bit of this i ain't wasting it on you no it's not what he's saying no 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 no. he's just saying like this is you know well and it can only go so far you're right like the the, the real the real relationship is when you're with when you're with each other when you're together so he's like you know this is good and right. it'll last until I get there, but I can't wait till I get there. Well, and he says, you know, um, he ends with the Alexis, the the children of your Alexis to greet you. And so um, there's some sort of like, I'm writing from one church to another church. Right. She says hi to you. I don't even need right. you don't her, need to name names. Her, and her people say hi to you and your people. That's it. And, you know, I'll see you in a bit. So that's how he wraps up the letter. He'll do something similar with Gaius. Um, and, you know, I, I think what's, what's beautiful about this letter is it gives us a glimpse into the religious life of the first century. Um, to see that some of the challenges that the church had in the first century, the very same challenges we yeah. have in our century. And not, in much, 13 not verses, much has changed except the close in time. That's it. We, 13 verses shows us a lot. And, yeah. and I hope that when we do these kinds of episodes, we talk about these obscure books of the Bible, um, that it makes people want to go back and read them and learn from them and maybe even spend some time devotionally praying through them because uh, there's a lot packed in here. God doesn't waste his word. Um, there are no real skippable parts of the Bible when it comes to God speaking to us, right? right? If you're reading through the Bible in a year and you get to like, you know, I think it's First Chronicles or it's about seven chapters full of genealogy, <laughs> go ahead and skip. But like, but it's still there for a reason. Right. And there will be a point. You can go back and study, but you should do it slowly and yeah. understand who the significance who of all of those groups of people. Right. So like this is kind of um, one of those letters where I think we're prone to speed read it and move on. It's like, oh, he said this stuff in other places. I'm like, really yeah, yeah, it's just a letter. Right. 
It's not. This is God's word. Take a second, marinate in it, allow mm-hmm. it to to teach and warn and form. It's uh it's good stuff. So any good last stuff. thoughts on second John? Jessica? You always do this. I no, do. I don't. You don't. I know this is <laughs> at some point you're gonna surprise me like, actually, you know what? Yes, I do. I have a final thought. It's unlikely. But, or at unlikely. some point you're gonna learn that she's gonna say I, nope. got no, I got nothing. No, 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 no. Here's the thing. I'm going to ask you every episode whether you say you no do. or not. I'm just going to, it's going to happen. I keep saying no. Uh, that is, is, I have nothing else to say. This is hospitality. I'm going to give you the last word and then you just don't take it. Isn't hospitality, hospitality. making your guest feel comfortable? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody, if Marcos invites you over for dinner, make sure you say yes. He's going to make you feel uncomfortable. Yep. Chair is made of stone. <laughs> All right, y'all. Thank you so much for being with us here at Good Will Talk. This was season 13, episode one. See you next week. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you like our show, please leave us a five-star rating, write a review, and be sure to tell your friends to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. Check out our episode notes for links to our church website and any resources shared on this episode. Editing and sound design by Jeff DiMatti. Marcos Ortega wrote this episode. Our executive producers are Mike Antonucci and Jeff DiMatti. Your co-hosts are Pastor Marcos Ortega and Jessica Kilduff. A special thanks to Goodwill Church for supporting this show so we may provide it to you, our listeners, for free. Let's talk again next week 